0: All right, Redeem, 1,990 years ago today, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and it creates one of the boldest moves known of mankind. It's a power shift that changes the structure of eternity. It's kind of incredible to me when you think about it. There are probably about 2 million people in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. That's over 250,000 lambs that were going to be slaughtered and Jesus comes in on a donkey. And the crowds start going crazy because they'd never seen anybody heal people, cast out demons, even raise a man from the dead. And so scripture tells us that they were there with high anticipation, really not even so much for Passover, but to see this Jesus that they'd heard about. And so then Jesus gets on a donkey, rides into this crowded town, And you can imagine as he's heading to Jerusalem that the um, people in the streets, they just start pulling off their clothes, throwing it down for the donkey to ride upon. And some of them even cut down palm branches to put them down and you can't blame them. I mean, if you think about it, clothes were hard to come by and then throw them down on that particular ground where it really was a sacrifice. And so they cut down the palm branches. And so traditionally we say this is the triumphant entry or we say that this is Palm Sunday. And what I'd like to say today is it's, it's a lot more than Palm Sunday. It's Power Shift Sunday. Everything changed on that day. Jesus was making a definite statement by coming into town on a donkey. He was being humble. He was being a, a man and a, a person of peace. But what he was really saying is, I'm here to fulfill the prophecy That your king is coming he's coming on a donkey and everything's changing i love this uh, act of boldness that brought on a new way of walking in life as he uh, put it into motion that day and i think that what happens is that a lot of us miss the significance and the intensity of the moment For example this is what happens sometimes we go to church and we're anticipating palm sunday yet in reality what the lord's trying to do is power shift and so this this is an intense time in the life of mankind it was an intense time for jesus and his followers and he had been prompting them and teaching them every moment of his ministry to be ready for that day and so i'd like to go back a little bit and just show you how jesus was gearing up his disciples to be able to join with him as he walked in to change the world forever. So let's go back for a moment to Matthew 16, 21 to 22. In the 16th chapter of Matthew, what you're going to find is that Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, yeah, the world's starting to say these things, but who do you say that I am? And then finally, Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You are God. And so he says, great, good job. That's the right kind of faith. And then look what happens right after he says that. Read with me in Matthew 16, 21 through 22. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. They actually think, at this point, the disciples and Peter specifically think that they know better than God. Basically, he's saying, hey, this is not what we're here for. I didn't sign up to go into Jerusalem and see you die. I signed up to see you change the world. And so then Jesus takes another approach out of just a little bit later. Look in Matthew 17, through 23, now, this is right after the transfiguration. So Jesus is taking some of his disciples. They're seeing him for whom he really is. And then look at the dialogue that comes afterwards. Matthew 17, 22 through 23. And when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life and the disciples were filled with great grief." At this point, the sheep are actually starting to get it. Jesus really would be giving his life for others, and I think it hit them to a point where they could feel it, where they could sense the loss of it. So they're moving from denying it wouldn't happen to now, wow, this really is going to happen, and there's some feeling ascribed to it. So now we're getting into this Matthew 21, one through 11 where we're getting ready to see what we would call this uh, Passion uh, Sunday, or we might call it the Triumphant Entry, or what I'm calling it is the Power Shift. But even right before that, look at Matthew 20, 17-19. Jesus is giving them one last reminder. It's like he's saying, okay, guys, this is really it. It's just about game time. Here we go. One more time, do you have it? Matthew 27:19 to 19 Jesus says, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And now it's almost like he looks at him. Are you ready to go the distance? Do you got it? Game time. And it was for them, little well, sort of, and we're going to see that they were with him. In the moment, and all this teaching that Jesus had poured into them was really starting to come to life. And I just want us again to take a moment and think of all the truth that we've been given, all the Bible stories that we've heard, all the experiences by which we've seen God move in our lives. It's really significant to take uh, account of that and know that we're going somewhere. This isn't X amounting a days on planet earth and then it's over. This is an opportunity to advance God's kingdom, to participate in this power shift by which good actually overcomes evil. And so, I don't know, I think that as soon as you don't see it as a power shift, you miss the significance of it. I'm not looking to be hooked up with people who are looking for palm fronds. I'm looking for people that are willing to throw their clothes off and say, Jesus, walk on this. I'm looking for people that know the the significance of what it takes to go the distance i always like uh, russell wilson because he's famous for saying that the game's won in the fourth quarter and he means it and you can see it by the way he plays sometimes in the first quarter i get so frustrated he's like hey run more take more chances but he knows not to he knows to save himself for the fourth quarter you'll see when he's running for a first down in the first second or third quarter he's just trying to barely get to that first down or he's sliding. But when it's fourth quarter, he's going for the red zone. He's going for a score. It's a whole different level of intensity. So I'm just asking you people today, as we look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, turn up the intensity. See it for what it really is. It's a power shift by which everything changes. And Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, actually delivers and destroys the enemy's foothold on individuals so that we can actually get to know and walk with God himself. It's nothing short of that. So Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, let's read it together. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had gone to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went And did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. He sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying who is this and the crowds were saying this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee and basically what Jesus is saying in in his audible to the disciples you're going to go we're going to do this this is what is going to happen are you ready game on let's go and basically the disciples are willing to follow Jesus on this donkey into Jerusalem and the power shift begins. And as I look at these 11 verses, it's an incredible picture of how Jesus's heart was laid out and in such a way that says, if you really want to walk with me, if you really want to see the world change, here's how it's going to happen. Here's, here's at the heart of the power shift. And there's going to be seven things that we're going to see and discuss this morning. And uh, five of them are going to be out of Matthew. Then we're going to look at Luke and John and pull a few more as well. But first of all, I want you to see this in Scripture where it says that Jesus sent two disciples. I think this is so significant because Jesus never sends anybody out alone. It's incredible to me that he didn't say, let's send two. It doesn't say which two, and that's not even the point. The point is he didn't send somebody out alone. Go back and look in Scripture. When Jesus was sending people out, he sent them out by twos. Even in the Great Commission where Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world, even the remotest parts where people are alone or isolated, I will be there with you. I will be with you. In fact, you know, uh, the only time I can think of in scripture where Jesus went alone is when he went to be tempted in the wilderness. What a difficult time that would have been. So he went alone for that. And then when he went to the cross, he went alone. And at that cross, we know that the, the Lord was actually uh, taking on the sins and the hurts and the pains and the systems of the world, willing to die for that. And in so doing, was actually separated from the presence of God. So he was willing to go to the cross alone. And friends, I'm just suggesting that he will do that because he knows that he never wants us to have to go alone. And so I love the fact, don't miss this, that he says... Uh, I want the two of you to go. The reality of it is, is that Jesus is calling you and I to be in relationship with him and one another. And that is at the heart of the power shift. It's not a solo message, message. Number two, I like the fact that he tells his disciples to go and to get these donkeys. And if anybody says anything to you, just say that the Lord has need of them. First of all, just interesting side note, that even in here you'll see that the donkey, which was the uh, little colt, was accompanied by the mother. I love it. Jesus wasn't even willing to take the donkey by itself, bring its mom. Probably the, the disciples were leading the mother in front, and the little donkey was falling. Can you imagine getting on a donkey that had never been ridden into a, a street jammed with people, all the commotion, all the stirring, And this little never having been ridden donkey makes it. I can remember a time I was 18 years old and I was in the Honduras with a a group called Amigos de las Americas doing um, fluoride treatments and inoculations up in the mountains and one day this little 18 year old kid myself was up there walking from little village to village and I saw a donkey on the side of the trail all by itself and I thought hey, I'm going to try to just jump on that thing and see if, if I could ride it to the next village. And so I, I got on the donkey and it was hysterical. The thing just sat, it just froze. It would not move. And I was, I was just reminded of that as I'm looking at this picture and what a miracle it was that this donkey would actually uh, follow through and lead Jesus Christ down this crowded corridor, down the east gate to the uh, front of Jerusalem and into the temple. It's pretty remarkable. So Jesus, in this case, um, is not um, acknowledging that he needs us in terms of finding the donkey. He's not saying that his needs are that he couldn't create it a way to get there on his own. He could. I, I love the fact that uh, Jesus could feed 5,000 or 4,000, just bring me a lunch and I could make it happen. But the amazing thing here in the power shift is that there's a need that he has to incorporate us into his plan, to involve us, to include us, to use us, to have us bring something to the game and do our part. And I'm so appreciative of that. Our lives count, the decisions that we make matter. We have something that we get to bring to the game every time. And so um, the need part of it Don't let that disturb you in terms of what do you mean God has a need. God does have a need. He has a need to see us in relationship with Himself. He has a need to see us know what is the most important to Him and follow suit. Um, You know, it's kind of a weird thing, but recently uh, I've had a better understanding of the needs of even my own father. In the last year or so, my father went through Uh, cancer, cancer treatment is very serious. He got through with that only to have to go in and have a triple uh, bypass, emergency uh, heart surgery. He survived that and then only to have a little bit later, uh, a heart attack, have to be rushed in. He's had it so hard and so um, I've known this man and I've talked with him all the time. And now when we talk on the phone, it's interesting. I see his life a little bit more fragile, a little bit more quote-unquote needy. And yet in reality, I see and hear more strength in his voice now than ever before. And I love it because every conversation ends almost like this, or there'll be this component of every time I talk to this amazing man. He'll say, hey Marty, how are you treating those girls? And he'll say, are you taking care of them? Make sure you give them my love. Those things will be in every conversation. And I realize, you know, the greatest need he has isn't um, overcoming these things in his life. The greatest need he seems to have is to know that I'm doing my part, that I'm actually following in his footsteps and taking care of family. I, I just I want you to see something here. I believe that God himself has a need and his need is to involve us in the advancing of his kingdom. Uh, for those of you can handle it, I think God is calling us to help run the family business and he needs to know that we're ready that we have his right heart that when we step out in his name that we're doing it with the heart and the motive and the excellence that he would and so I just I want to take a moment right now and speak to my own kids and I just want to say to Meg uh, to Sarah and to Katie I hope you understand that I have a need and my need genuinely is to see you guys be at your best to see each of you really know the heart and love of the Lord and to be able to advance his kingdom in such a way that is really even better than what I could have done. I've given my life uh, to each of you so that you would know what real life's about. And it's interesting, God's very clear on this. We're all gonna die one day, friends. And when we die, those who don't know Jesus are gonna go into a judgment and you're gonna have to explain why you did not choose Jesus. I don't wanna be in that line. I've already decided I'm choosing him with my life. But then there's another sense that those of us who are believers are gonna give an account of how well we lived on planet Earth. And friends, this isn't like a checklist of you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. What it is, it's giving an account and receiving a reward. The Lord's gonna say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you were able to do this. It's my delight to see our family business be able to give back to you. That's how it's gonna really work. And and again, Katie, Sarah, Meg, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for your rewards to be greater than mine. If I could do anything right, I want you to go further in your walk with God and advancing of his kingdom than I did. That's my need. And I really see Jesus here when he says, tell them that I have need of them. It's okay to see his need in that manner. If you want to go into a power shift, number three, I think there's another significant thing that you can see when it just says that your king is coming gentle and mounted on a donkey. I find this amazing again, because it's one of the most humble and yet bold statements that Jesus could have made. The Jews knew exactly what it meant. They knew the prophecy that your king would come, and he's quoting that uh, passage here. And I think that what it was doing in the power shift is it was saying, I'm not here like Rome is here dominating and conquering. That's not my MO. I'm not even here like the religious leaders are who've built a temple and keep people out. I am here on this little donkey coming into town saying there's a whole new way. And so, you know, I don't want us to miss how strong of a statement it was It was as well. He's being gentle, but there's no doubt. He's saying there's a new sheriff in town. This is serious business. And so he comes in as a, a way to redefine heroism, if you will. In my own life, it's interesting. When I think of heroes, there's three people that come to my mind, and it's Mother Teresa, it's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and it's Jesus. And I find it fascinating that each one of them gave their lives away uh, to others who didn't have a voice who ha- or who had a need. And I also you know, acknowledge that here's Mother Teresa, she died in Calcutta, she died with the poor, uh, that she gave her life for. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated in Memphis. He died giving, it a, giving a voice to those who couldn't uh, find the platform for one yet. And of course, what we're seeing here is the Lord Jesus going in and breaking down a religious structure that would not in, in, uh, include people, but it was excluding them. It's an amazing thing to look at heroism and to look at your heroes that way. And so I just want to be able to say good good job to those who redefine heroism. I want to also acknowledge that this boldness uh, is significant. Each one of these people that I just mentioned were very bold. They broke a new way into uh, opening the doors for others, and so it's very empowering. And so, friends, if there's somebody who's trying to lead, if they have a need to lead on a steed, don't do it. If they're on the giant black shining horse or the white shining horse and, you know, glimmering and all that, stay away. But if they're riding on a donkey going, to, going forward in a humble way to change the world, I'm on that. And then uh, also I think it's fascinating in this passage, and here's kind of the fourth aspect of where I see uh, is necessary in terms of creating a power shift, and that's the infusion of hope and hope, hope bringing change. It says that most of the crowd and then goes on and others um, were following and crying out and mm-hmm. taking their clothes off. And again, can you can you imagine what it would have been like to have been along those streets, gross, messy? Jesus comes in and you're you're jumping on that that bandwagon all of a sudden you're saying, you're you know you're saying yes to the Jesus campaign. You're doing your best to be all in. You're actually uh, even being very vulnerable by cheering for him, because the religious leaders now, you know, have you on the on the naughty list, and so it's such a bold move by these individuals. And so, what stirred them? I think a great hope that maybe something really would be different, and I think it's uh, it's proof that that is what the motivator was. It was hope, because later on, when Jesus goes in, and um, the power struggle decides that they're going to beat him. I mean, nearly beat him to death. When the power uh, systems hang him on the tree to die and bury him in a tomb, it is as if all hope was lost. And when hope's lost, it's interesting how people respond. People respond, they can, they can really be in this kind of a downward spiral of despair, or sometimes the, the loss is so great that they actually become bitter. And I think that's kind of what we see here, because later on, these same people, I mean, just five days later, that were throwing down their clothes and saying, yes, yes, Lord, had put those uh, cloaks back on, and now they were jeering out, crucify him and crucify him. And so if if you're going to maintain your hope, can I just give you a significant insight from the scripture here? Your hope is in Jesus. It's not in an outcome. We have to remember that Jesus was going in to Jerusalem not to overthrow the bad guys, but to die for the bad guys. And by the way, we are those bad guys. I mean, none of us deserve having somebody else lay down their life for us, and that's exactly what he did. And so our hope needs to be that what Jesus did was real, that it works, and now we hope that we can commit ourselves to the same. And I've I've had so many situations where it seems like hope is lost, And I'm here to say that maybe I didn't make it through the way that I wanted to. Maybe things didn't go the way I had planned. But I can tell you that he's never left nor forsaken me. He's always been there. He's always pulled me up and out of it. And I know that my uh, day of seeing him prevail is going to come. He can't help but prevail because that's just who he is and what he does. Number five is Jesus conducts a... um, spiritual climate heart check. So now if we go to Mark, we're going to see in his account through Mark 11 verse 11, that Jesus went into the temple as he goes into the city. Read with me Mark 11 verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. This is fascinating. Uh, you'll see that if you keep reading these stories, the next day on Monday, he's gonna go in and he's gonna clean house at the temple. But on this day, he comes in on this power shift Sunday, on Passion Sunday, on the triumph entry, whatever we call it. At the very end, he's gonna go in, he's gonna look in the temple and take an inventory check and say, what's really working here? What's here? What am I gonna do? And I, I think that uh, you and I need to be ready for a spiritual heart check inventory ourselves. Jesus is going to use us. He's coming in to live in our very lives. He says that he gives us the spirit to uh, abide within us. And so he's just doing a a spiritual inventory to see if if we're getting it, if we're ready to walk in that power shift life or if we're in the old system and old structures of religion or leaving them out. It was so fascinating uh, for me just uh, earlier this week. I was over at Uh, my daughter's house playing with one of my grandsons and this little guy's two years old and and he said hey let's go out in the backyard and play and so we went out in his backyard and I started looking around at all this stuff in his backyard he had a swing set those kind that you climb on he had um, You know it was all fenced in his little puppy dog was out there. He had volleyball nets. I mean a soccer net he had all these toys, a huge deck. There's all these other things to do on the deck. He even had those little battery-operated cars. And he was running around wanting to play with each one of these things and have me follow along, and I was doing that. And then all of a sudden, he runs over to the deck. He flops down on his back, and he starts yelling, Pops down, pops down, and, and tapping the deck. And then all of a sudden, I just got it. He wanted me to lay on my back and look up and watch the clouds. And so I did, I went over there and I laid down, I'm looking at him and he's just loving, he's look at that, look at that. And then all of a sudden he gets up and he yells, the moon, the moon. And uh, it wasn't the moon, it was actually the sun (laughs) setting behind a cloud. But in that moment, something very fascinating happened for me. It wasn't all the goofy little stuff, all the beautiful things in his backyard that mattered. The kid was looking for what wasn't in his backyard that really moved him the most. And I was just sitting here thinking, as I was uh, looking at my own life, the things that really bring me joy, it's not a fenced-in backyard. It's being able to see beyond what I can touch, what I can control, what's real, what's forever. And I'm just loving that that was in him, that that's what really fascinated him in that moment. And so I'm here today to tell you, get out of your backyard. It's not true, the man with the most toys Uh, who dies with the most toys wins is wrong. Jesus came not only to be able to set us free from our sins to uh, heal our wounds, he also came to blow open the backyard to show us what life really was. There is a spiritual reality that goes on forever. If you'll just go look up at the sky for a moment and you see that it goes on forever and ever, you'll catch it. And then number six, we see there's a time to feel deeply and step out even beyond where we have hope. Look in Luke, Luke 19:39 through 42 records this element of the power shift. It says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it saying, if you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. I find this amazing that Jesus is heading in on this celebratory, power shift, amazing moment, and then the Pharisees come up and say, hey, you need to make those people be quiet. And Jesus says, no, I really don't. They're stepping out. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to. And if they didn't, even the rocks would cry out. And then a little bit later he goes and he's so moved by those who are missing it, like the Pharisees, that he literally gets off his donkey and just weeps over the city. I'm telling you that we need to have that kind of a deep connection to the work of the Lord that moves us, that can move us as individuals who are following the Lord, just to praise him even when it doesn't feel like it. And to also be able to take time to just just to stop and weep for those who are missing it. I think that when we praise the Lord, it's actually the first step of putting our faith into motion. Praise will do that for us. And when people come up and say, wait a minute, that seems uh, weak or emotional. I just want you to know that our good, behi- our good behavior uh, or our silence, they've never really saved anybody yet. They don't, they don't move the kingdom of God forward. Yet praising them, even when it's hard, always has a power shift impact. And then when, when you see people who are hurting, don't look the other way. Look at them, see them, weep for them, but don't pretend that it doesn't exist. It really does. And the Lord is here to do something about it. And now number seven, my final point with the way that God moves in his power shifts is actually found in John. So go with me to John chapter 12, verse one, and you're gonna see that John comes back and starts this Passion Sunday or the triumphant entry the day before. John 12, one reads, Jesus therefore six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. I think it's fascinating that Lazarus comes in and says, do you see Lazarus real people and the ones that Jesus was connected to? He begins his story with that. And of course, when we read more in that, we'll know that a lot of the people in that community were coming to look to see the fact that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And I think I I had to just stop when I read this, and I want to stop again right now and say, I actually believe this stuff. Friends, it's documented on how many sheep were slaughtered 1,990 years ago to this day. They know how many were. It was recorded. I want you to know that this person, Lazarus, had a real sister, Mary, and another sister named Martha, and a real house in Bethany, and Jesus really went there and spent time with them and raised this Lazarus from the dead. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true, it happened. I uh, have given my life, I I didn't grow up in the church believing these things, but I've given my life to the point is I went and I studied Hebrew so that I would make sure I could figure out the word of God. I studied Greek. I got a master's degree in divinity. I went back and got a doctorate in uh, ministry as well because I wanted to make sure I knew this stuff. I have studied the scriptures to make sure that they are authentic that we have today, that the documents were done well. I've looked at science. I've looked at the difference between micro and macro evolution. I've looked at the social norms that have been impacted. I've looked at each religion that states that it can deliver something. And I'm telling you, I believe in what I'm reading today. I believe this. Jesus knew how to raise people from the dead. And that's my hope. That's where the power shift is going. It's not about being nice. It's not about being good. It's about being raised from the dead. I find it so significant that we have the opportunity to actually right now believe this stuff. And when we, when we believe it, we need to believe it with the intensity that it's real, not that it could be real, it's a, a faith-based walk with God. And so in my conclusion, what I wanna do is to say that it's time to get in the fourth quarter it's just, it's just time to live this like it's it's forever at stake because forever is at stake. I'm going to go back and just read one more uh, scripture, but basically it's going to say this. We're all going to die one day, and if you have faith now, then there's some fire in your bones that can enable you to be a person to create a power shift. If there is no power in in. in Uh, the way that you're living, then it's a faith issue. So go with me and look at Matthew 16, 24, 27. We're going to go back to where Jesus was trying to really get the disciples ramped up and ready for what he was going to do. And this is what he tells them. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a profiting man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Let's, let's, Let's get the deeds right. Let's commit ourselves to doing the right things. And if you are sitting there and you're on that fence and you're wondering, do I believe this stuff? I'm just telling you, step out. Praise God for who he is. Step out. Don't let the rocks beat you to this game. If, you, if you've if you never told somebody what you believe, would you just call somebody today and tell them, I actually believe this stuff. I'm gonna change my life based upon what I believe. And if you are a believer, I'm asking that you realize the significance of living in the fourth quarter and really let's make sure that we're connecting with others and being equipped to be able to make the difference that God's calling us to. Bless you in this amazing power shift that started 1,990 years ago and is continuing to this day. God bless you.